This is the Unearthing Art Podcast with Michelle Luminato and Beck Lee, where we dig into the messy reality of making art that matters, raw and real conversations about being an artist, navigating the creative process, and expressing our honest and sometimes weird selves. How are you feeling, Michelle? I have to say, I'm on the tail end, still a little on the foggy brain side, but um, yeah, it's been quite a couple weeks of the nastiest, horriblest flu. If you know anyone with the flu that has this version, steer clear, because no good. Haven't been this sick in a while, but feeling good, because I have missed our conversations, and it's been for us a little break, just in terms of me getting well and getting back into the groove. It has been a break. So we're a little rusty because we've had a couple of weeks um, while you've been recovering from that terrible flu. The other exciting news, which depending on where you're listening to this, you may already realize if you're listening on your podcast player and you've been really curious to see what we look like when we're having these little chats, well, your curiosity can now be satisfied because this is our very first podcast which also has a video version which will be available on youtube so we're here in the flesh as two introverts who would rather not be on video it's definitely a stretch but we know that we have such good giggles when we do this that we thought you'd appreciate watching us giggle and really make fools of ourselves most of the time so last time we spoke then Um, We were talking, I remember very much about um, what stood out to me is we were talking about the work of an artist in dealing with our uncertainty and also our sometimes overactive imaginations, which can be either hinder or help us. And then towards the end of that episode, we were talking about how uncertainty and imagination um, can how we deal with that in the artistic process, so in the studio and outside of the studio in in sort of our generative creative states. But we also started to talk a little bit about how that flows into um, after we've created our artwork and we start thinking about taking it to market and selling and, you know, sharing it with the world. So I know you had a lot more thoughts. Yeah. A lot more thoughts about that. Yeah, I I think that... So many thoughts about that. I'm going to try to reel it back to the beginning of what I remember it being. Um, For me, when I started painting, I don't know if this is true for you, Beck, or anyone else, but I think the thing that happened to me that probably a lot of people go through is that you're creative and you're like, oh, I I could probably paint. I could probably do that. Other people seem to be doing that. Seems to be something that I could succeed at, right? And then the next thing is we go to Instagram and we're like, oh, well, what's what seems to be successful? What seems to be working? What is something that could give me a proven path? Give me an, an answer because I'm uncertain right mm-hmm. now and I'm looking for an answer. So we go to Instagram to give us this source of inspiration and we don't even know what market we're really competing Uh, propelling herself to be in. I, in the beginning of painting, you know, really underestimated this particular area that I was kind of getting dabbling in and getting my feet into and what that meant for my artwork. And also knowing that I have a product creation background, which is really something that I want to talk a little bit more about because 
I've created products for companies, including my own company, and worked on thousands and thousands of products and from shoes from to stationery, sh- right? Totally. Like, you know, I'll, of course, shoes and stationery go together, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's interesting because the logical brain of me knows so much about the differences that it takes to create products. And yet when I went to begin painting, I just started looking on Instagram, looking at things and, and really looking at that and really kind of didn't do the work of like getting true to myself before I did that. And the other part that I think was tricky is you don't, we don't realize what kind of market we're putting ourselves into and how that market is going to respond to that and the complexities of that. Well, I think, so when you talk about the kind of market that we're putting ourselves into, when I started, I probably thought, well, there's just one market. I suppose if I really thought about it, maybe two markets because maybe there was like these high-end gallery with this very high-powered work you know that sells for tens of thousands of dollars but what I could see in terms of Instagram in terms of what was happening online if I was able to look up an artist's website and see that they were selling their work to me that was just one big bucket here's some Mm. art and there's people buying art so when you start talking about I didn't even know what market I was stepping into what do you mean? <laughs> educate me. <laughs> yeah. So there's so many layers to it. And I, it's for me, it's a little bit difficult to articulate um, in a really short way because there's many layers to it. But mm. um, I think one of the biggest challenges is that there is a commodity treated market and mm-hmm. a value-driven market. When you say commodity-driven market, I, the first thing that popped into my head was... Um, like if you go to Ikea and you buy art prints. There is that, but there's also even original paintings that I think are really treated as commodities. And what I mean by that is it's really driven by price and it's not necessarily driven by the value of the product itself. So a lot of the people who purchase price-based paintings or artwork or in general, just price-based things, they're really looking for who's the lowest price. And so it's that thing of Mm. really cutting our work to the lowest price to try to win that battle, because that's the kind of mentality and mindset of that type of market. And as artists, um, it's a real challenge because we put so much love into our paintings and so much time into our paintings. And I think it's just one of those really... um, Unfortunately, like it's a slow way to, or a fast way to a slow death. If that, does that sound a little too extreme? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so then how do we recognize what would be the difference there? I'm thinking that if if someone's buying a thing, and I'm just thinking really broadly here, like thinking of examples, like when we go shopping and buy things, if you're buying something based on lowest price, that that usually happens when you don't see any difference between the options. So there's if if there's three things or five things that seem to fit your needs, yep. basically the same, yep. then why not buy the least expensive of those? There's several examples that I can think of, but a lot of times um, I'll use trends as an example. You know, there's certain things that are mm-hmm. in style or on trend and 
popular based on what's going on in home decor and what people are doing in their homes. They might be looking for something that's a trend thing. And that's an example of if they're looking for a style of a painting, there might be, you know, in their mind, you know, four or five, maybe 10 painters that they're looking at and they're comparing. And if there isn't really a distinction from their point of view, they're just price shopping. You know, it just doesn't, there's nothing emotionally that they're attached to beyond the price itself. And I feel a little bit like harsh for saying that because it it's something that I haven't always felt comfortable talking about because I love trends. I, I mean, I'm always looking to see what's going on and I'm a big fan of them. But I also know that there's a lot of consequences to painting into that kind of thinking of the person who's buying that kind of um, art product. Mm. So I found that there's challenges with that. Yeah, and the artists themselves can still be putting a lot of heart into making that particular work. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You can't look at paintings or an artist from the outside and make some determination based on how the art looks as to how much they're caring about it or or whether make some kind of judgment around, oh, this is production art or this is more heartfelt art because I think that I don't know, we just go down a lot of different paths. And like you say, when you're getting when you're entering the world as an artist and you're looking around, you can explore a lot of different paths very with a lot of genuine intent. And yet you find yourself in, as you say, you find yourself without uh meaning to in a market where you're being compared to a a lot of other things that are available and it can be like hurtful it's hard it's hard it's hard and I feel like it's like the band-aid conversation that you're like just got to just rip the band-aid off because it is it is what it is the the challenge is artists that I think we have um that big companies really tackle with a really specific structure to the way they tackle it. But we have to understand how the end user is using our art and what that means for them and what that experience for buying that art is. And when we really have a better idea of that, um, we can then know what market we're in and and know if we even want to play in that market. And I'm just saying that from my own perspective that I've gone down some paths um, where I've, you know, made products, whether it's a painting or something else, and then went, nah, I'm not really, that That market doesn't feel right to me. I need to do something different. Um, and so when I said commodity versus value, so value really is where someone mm. is looking for something more unique, and they're not necessarily price-driven. They're more driven by the uniqueness of it, the value that's added to it. And in order for that to happen, it really has mm. to stand out from the market and not kind of be locked into this broader mainstream market. Does that make sense? I'm just ticking away here thinking about how much it seems to me that there's probably the two things interacting here. There's the thing that you make, but also the people you sell to, because yeah. I'm wondering the person you described earlier looking for a particular trend piece can that person be enticed to be interested in more of a value piece or are they just an entirely different audience? Yeah, I think that it is um, complex and definitely 
there's more pieces to it than will come out in this short podcast. But I think mm. there um, there is ways to set yourself apart among a crowded market. So I'm not saying that it doesn't work, but mm-hmm. you, for the best success, um, you really want to set yourself apart so that there is distinctions that you have to your art. And those people who are looking for something a little bit more special are willing to pay that extra price, that premium price. So it's a different mindset. The other problem that I think we have is that I find that when people are really price shopping as opposed to value shopping, they are looking for the very, very best deal. And Mm -hmm. they are, they, as artists, sometimes I think we get this rap of like, oh, artists don't make any money. They'll take whatever. And there's a little bit of like, you know, my heart just bleeds when I think of that. I'm like, oh, that's not like, that is so wrong to try to haggle people down. And I'm going to say this with the most love. Friends and family can almost be the worst as well, you know, where yeah. they don't always appreciate the art and they're like, they're looking for a good deal and you're, you're you know, you're the friend. But I haven't really found that that's the best way to sell my art to get the most appreciation and the value exchange for that. And so if you have open studios, you might be put into that position, which I personally have where, you know, the husband comes in and he's like, he's trying to haggle me. He literally was trying to haggle me for the lowest price that he could get. And it's just one of those like icky feelings as an artist. Like I'm like, I freaking poured my heart and soul into this. So I think it's just a matter of understanding Um, what kind of audience you're attracting and if it's a good fit for the kind of work that you want to make. And if, for me, because I didn't like that icky feeling of being haggled, I'm like, no, I'm not not playing down here in this like haggle. You know, it's that's not going to work for how I want to make my art because I love spending a lot of time with my art. And I really do want to make mm. things that are more unique and give me that opportunity to explore that, you know, and come up with some things that maybe are a little bit different anyway. So we can try we can try and distinguish ourselves in a um, more competitive market, try and take a market that is um, price driven mm-hmm. and try and educate or distinguish ourselves to bring some value into that market and try and sort of get a little bit of distance or leeway on it. So you're talking now more about finding um, or fostering or building our own market where I think you've said this before, where we are one of one. Basically, yes. you're looking for the market who are looking for something and if for them to get that, they have to come to you. Yes. But are there then particular strategies that you use to try to get that kind of market and or had that kind of space versus the other? Like how, yeah. how do you go about finding these unicorns kind Funny of Funny you ask, Beck, because <laughs> it's, these wonderful it's, people. it's pretty much the <laughs> core of what this whole podcast is all about. You literally have to unearth the, the the best version of yourself because it's really mm-hmm. I like to look at it like the way that we create unique work is we really have to figure out what makes us special and sometimes it's not really obvious to us 
Um, it's as we've talked about in the past, like it's actually probably more obvious to the other people. Like if we could just have other people point to things, um, but the making the connection for ourselves, it, it, it seems to be a little bit of a, an, a, an earthing process, you know, to dig up what matters the most. And that's where um, for you, for example, when you've talked about these things that you're interested in and you didn't see examples, I'm like, yes, that's why you're going to bring something that's very unique to who you are and what you're all about. And the only way to get that is you. So um, it takes a little bit of work to uncover what those authentic truths are and Mm. um, what matters to us. So here's the other thing I think that I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. I think a lot of times when we're starting off painting, we go to the market first and we go, oh, what's happening? Let me figure out if I can just, you know, fit into what I see already out there. And we don't check in with ourselves to get this rock solid foundation first, because Mm -hmm. yes, I do believe the market considerations are really important, but if we don't have this foundation of who we are, and what we're all about, we will bend ourselves to the market as opposed to staying true to who we are and then really working towards, okay, this is who I am and what I'm all about. Now, how can I consider the market with what I do and what I want to do? Because yeah. there's so what, the time investment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's different considerations that we have um, for what we're willing to do as artists, like how much time do we want to put into something and how many how much resources like there's a lot of components that i think we have to figure out that what we're willing to do not like oh that'd be nice but like no really for real we're really willing to do that and then you look at like what the market considerations are which are lots of layers to that then we Mm. can make an offer to them that makes sense for Mm. what makes sense to you what makes sense to the market and ultimately, I think what's cool about carving out the one-on-one is that you can ask for premium prices because you really are carving out that special piece of art, you know? I wonder whether when we start out, we actually understand what we're getting ourselves into. Oh, and I can- <laughs> absolutely not. I, and- I can only hope there's like some core, there's some little flame that says, you know, have a go at art and maybe it knows better than our conscious brain, but our conscious brain is like, oh, let's have a go at art. Let's approach it the way we've approached probably lots of other things in our life so far. We kind of, it's like applying for a job. Like we go, oh, I'm going to apply for the job of artists. So, you know, what are the <laughs> the position descriptions? And so I'm going to go and I'm going to, oh, this is where people sell art and I'm going to like go one, two, three, and then down the track. That's when we go, oh, this isn't like a job job like what I've done before. This Not takes a whole different – it's like turning <laughs> turning yourself inside out because what you thought – how you thought you could approach it at the outset. Like you said, you look outside, you say – it's like, you know, you say, oh, there's a train driver. That That's a train driving job. So what they do is they drive the train. Oh, there's an artist selling work on Instagram. So what they do is they make this art – they put it up. It looks good. People like it. People buy it. Boom. You know, easy step peasy. one, two, three. <laughs> and then now you're saying, hang on, in order to, there's actually a whole process. And in order to get to that end bit, 
successfully yeah. in a way that's sustainable and doesn't leave you like really, as we have said, um, really maybe confused or hurt or drained or not feeling like you're understanding the process. Well, not only that, but I think it really unfortunately makes people feel like they're just not cut out for it. And the reality is there's just lots of pieces they're not really aware of that they need to know. It's not that you're not cut out for it. It's just that you just don't know what you don't know. The other thing that um, why I'm so passionate about talking about this more is because big companies and successful companies, they have systems in places to address these specific audiences that they're trying to reach Mm. and so they um they're very clear on how their end user is going to use that and what the right offer for that user will be and they can also speak to lots of different people um in terms of what the scale of that price range is like um, there might be a high-end piece and then they might have something that's a low-end piece And they can do that because they've got this big product line and they've got this big team. Guess what? They've got the team. They've got resources. Guess what kind of team we have? We're like the team of one. One. We, (laughs) it's like, we just, we can't, yeah, it's not, it's not fair to compare ourselves to big companies. However, there are some really good things that they have done to put structures in place to help them understand these things so they can Mm. create these things that are working. And I think that that's something that I think the artists, um, the artists is in like all of us, we we're just out there floundering and we're like, Oh, maybe that's (laughs) me back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And so we can get on this little bit of a, a hamster wheel Mm-hmm. process you know where and i see a lot of artists that feel like they have to hurry up and paint and put one out there on instagram and hurry up and paint and like it's it, like i literally run out of breath if i think about doing that for myself because i'm like oh i'm just exhausted thinking about doing it like that but mm-hmm. what other um companies do and again this is from my own product creation background of working for other companies and my own company is there's seasonal things and structural things that they do so they have the cycle for creation that allows them to come up with the ideas, validate those ideas, test those ideas, and then bring them to market in a way Mm -hmm. that gives them the most success. And that's something that I think as artists, we've been missing, you know, we're like, oh, Mm. let's just spit this out there. And we, there's a lot of pieces that we haven't really put in place for the best success. On one hand, you go, oh, my, oh no, <laughs> now I've got to add R&D to my list of jobs that I do as an artist as well as, you know, marketing and all that kind of thing. But the way you described it then, I do like the feel that um, you're saying that each piece has its time because, like, you're not trying to do it all at once. No. So you create that you have the ideas space and then you have the um, – generation and creative space and then you can kind of move through that in a cycle rather than always trying to make everything happen at once which we know is yeah impossible it's so hard in more ways. it's so hard it's hard to do anything good quality you know mm. i mean you can definitely spit some stuff out but i don't think there's the thought and the consideration um space in terms of like allowing yourself mm. mental space for that to really um, put out work that will kind of 
basically rise the cream to the top. Does that make sense? Mm. I like the idea also that there's um, there can be a way for us to build frameworks around this the same way that we can build that we build frameworks around our studio practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm maybe I'm drawing too much of a comparison here, but in the past we've talked about when you're trying to find your feet in the studio and develop a, a studio uh, practice framework that makes sense to you, that's a personalized process. That um, Yes, the techniques are there, but sometimes being too focused on just the techniques can kind of take you off track to finding your own way of doing things. And I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if there's any at all parallel comparison there that we can feel like we know what we should be doing with marketing because there's these bunch of tactics out there, Instagram, mailing list, do this, do that. But where is the framework that we found that works for us? Well, the thing that popped up into my head when you were saying that is I think there's also a thread like there's like you said, there's tactics, um, which I think a lot there's a lot of advice out there about tactics, which, again, tactics are good to know. But what's hugely missing is Mm. the strategy around making that thread Mm -hmm. for what you're all about to that audience and making sure that you have a strategy Mm. for that that makes it so that there's a connection there because this is something that I've seen happen where um, like if you go say you make abstract work I I do and I'm going into I'm going Mm -hmm. to apply to an art show and they happen to be showing all landscapes it's not going to be the right audience for that work That's one, you know, physical Mm. example of sort of like a big disconnect. And then there's people on Instagram that may be in your audience that might not be the fit as well. So I think there's lots of things that um, that we can do that we can actually stop doing as opposed to like doing. Ah, that sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) So focus. Yeah. Focus the time and the energy and the resources on a more um targeted strategy then oh yeah 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 yeah. which i think kind of makes you realize what you actually don't need to do um i personally have kind of had a little bit of a it was just a couple weeks for school holidays and it's turned into a few weeks after being sick and now i'm on this instagram uh sabbatical (laughs) that's had like a month (laughs) off and you know what feels so good because it i don't have to do it to get where I'm going with what I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not the end-all be-all answer. So I feel really good about that, but it has taken a little bit of work to figure out what to do instead of, but I've been able to go, I can actually stop feeling like I'm on that hamster wheel and doing that. It doesn't mean that I won't, I'm just more specific about what I'm doing it for and how that works for when I'm releasing my work and doing that so I feel like this has opened up a whole bunch of questions more than we can yeah (laughs) yeah. we haven't left people with more questions than than answers to circle back a little bit it's this idea that are that basically that there's a lot more opportunity there's a lot more um openness to the selling process than we might initially think. It seems to us like there's this one channel, like you have to 
be on Instagram and you have to somehow shout loud enough in a in a noisy marketplace to get attention and to sell. But actually, there's a a bigger world and a bigger range of things, a bigger variety of of strategy and um, ways to reach out to people. Number one, so we can think about that. But it also, like you said, it's kind of a cycle. It it does start by being grounded mm-hmm. in something real at the source of yourself and at the source of your art. So as always, we go back to kind of unearthing, <laughs> unearthing mm-hmm. at the core and then allowing that to come through the the art practice and also the sharing and selling practice. Kind of reimagining what selling could be for yourself. Yeah, yeah, basically. definitely. And so I'd say to new people um, who might be out there, you know, and going, oh, it's so hard. I don't have Instagram followers. Or, um, you know, I maybe there's a platform in Australia called Blue Thumb. And a lot of artists sell on Blue Thumb. And there's a ton of artists selling. Um, and so it could just feel like, oh, there's just everybody's having success but me. And I'm I'm telling you right now, mm. totally not true. Totally not true. It's it's really just understanding what kind of just pause for a minute, assess, and then really try to look at: Am I in this price shopping market? Just just to just to I think acknowledge where we're at. I think is part of the process. This is also true for mm. say you want to be in a gallery or a stockist, you know and. I know this was true for myself where I thought, oh, if I just get into this, you know, particular place and they can carry my work and, you know, this is going to be great. And then it's not exactly what I imagined it to be. Um, And there was just things that I realized Mm -hmm. about myself through that experience. So it's sometimes we have to go through the experience to figure out what's a fit and what's not a fit. But I guess the first step, just take notice of what you think might be happening. And if you feel like you're in a really competitive market or could you look from the outside like as a consumer and say, what would what do they see? How, how does my work fit into the way that they see the market right now? And, you know, just to be able to notice that, I think is the, the first step that can kind of lead to the next questions right was that helpful or was that a bit of a tangent well I think it's opening up the conversation which is what we want to do um and we certainly don't always we don't we don't come with all the answers all the time but we're bringing it up starting the conversation opening up the conversation because um I think that it is these more complex considerations that often get glossed over when um when we're looking around and people are kind of often selling us solutions that's a a ready-made package but we know in the heart of it meaning we as artists all of us know that when we get in the thick of it it's more nuanced than that so i think it's good it's definitely more nuanced and i would say also um because i do study a lot on what's going on in a consumer like what are they thinking Um, what are the trends not to wedge myself into one but more of just to be aware of what's happening in the world and Mm. one of the things that I've come across that is really encouraging is that after like we're just different people post two years of lockdown Mm -hmm. life right 
Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I think is staying that was a benefit of that horrible experience was that people started nesting better, making their homes more um, a place that was like a sanctuary for them. And mm-hmm. still making your home a space that you love is a really important part that's staying, yeah. um, which I think is really encouraging because then it's like, well, what do they need in their home? Guess what? Wonderful, unique, yes, um, value-driven art. Yes. <laughs> and they're looking for personalizing that space. I yeah. think I mentioned that last time that I think consumers are a bit sick of you know, the same, same. Now, that's not true for everyone. I'm not saying that, mm. you know, people are jumping off of the trend bandwagon, um, but it isn't It isn't the whole market. It's definitely mm. just a piece of it. Um, but luckily, people want to make their homes nice. And and what yeah. I mean nice, and they, they want to they feel good in their homes. Yeah, and feel good with what they're putting in their homes. Yes. And that stretches, as you say, to like wanting to feel good about what there is people are so much more this is probably a connected trend as well i say tentatively <laughs> putting my <laughs> hand into the into michelle's world but the idea that we're more conscious consumers that yes. we're more um, conscious of where our food's coming from of what what we're in, like investing in and where we're putting our money as a reflection of what our values are oh absolutely so away from that so to end on you're a high on it, note, Beck. You're, there's you're lots on of it. positive things to think to see in the in the art market as well. Yeah, and yeah. opportunities for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's definitely a perfect place to wrap this up without going into a huge <laughs> deep dive. Because again, we're. I just want to bring this back to like the core thing is. I just feel like so important for us to get to know ourselves first. And really stick with that as the true north guiding light of mm. how you can find and attract the best collectors for the yeah. kind of values that you already have. Perfect. As you can tell from our conversation, this is a big topic which we've been unpacking more in our Inspiration Room membership. The exciting part about that is that Michelle is right in the midst of expanding the framework she teaches to include these kinds of tools that she's developed from her product creation background. We'll definitely be bringing more of these conversations to Unearthing Art. But if you're intrigued by the idea of carving out your own value-focused market, then definitely jump on and add your email to the Inspiration Room waitlist via the link in the show notes. That way you'll get the early invitation to learn more about the expanded membership when it opens. You can also drop us your comments or questions through Instagram at unearthingart. And if you're listening to this in your podcast player, you can also find a link in the show notes to our brand new YouTube channel with a video version of this episode. So thanks for joining us today and we'll catch you next time.